0: Well, here's a question to kick us off. Hey, Dan, I'm smarter now. Why isn't my life better? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Dan Miller. Well, here we go. Every week, we take care of business right here, answering questions from you, the listeners. Wow, the questions this week, as always, just rich, full of meaty content that we can unpack together, all learn together, all lift our levels of success up a little bit more. That's our intention right here on the 48 Days Radio Show. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, and I have three young kids, seven, 10, and 12. My question is this, how do I help them discover and develop their passions and unique God-given abilities? All right, somebody says, how do I overcome concerns about my lack of experience since I'm just starting out as a financial planner? And then what I alluded to starting off here, Dan, I've studied a lot more and no more. Why am I not getting any traction on making my life better? Here's one, I'm unemployed and I'm trying to find a new job, but I think that my former employer's giving given me a bad reference. Hey, we'll cover that one real quickly. Wow, and next one, what are some tools or processes high C personality types can use to evaluate a business idea without throwing every single one out? You know, love the question. High C personalities, we know, do a lot of research. They wanna have a lot of facts and figures, but they can just stumble and never take action because they see why things won't work before they try it. All right. We'll unpack that. And then this one, Dan, I'm a new handyman. I put out about a hundred or 200 flyers by placing them in newspaper boxes with no callbacks. Easy fix. We'll address that. Quotation for today comes from Albert Einstein. I love this one. It's been a while since I used it. I know I've used it before, but it's been a long time. Albert Einstein, everybody is a genius. But if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. All right, encouragement find your unique zone of genius. Don't just try to be great at what somebody down the street is doing, your unique genius. Here are resource today is something that Joanne and I have coming up that I'm really excited to share. We've had fun just talking about this, thinking about it. And this is uh, two days with us here at our house that we're calling Loving, Learning, and Earning. Now, we've taught career and business principles for a long time. And again, I'm grateful for the emails we get about the impact. Got a couple to share here as we roll into these questions today about that. But in spite of having talked a lot about career and business, today, I am asked, Joanna and I are asked, more about how to have a successful marriage than about business. I mean, just by virtue of who we are and people seeing us, people who have come to our place in Tennessee and now here in Florida, you know, they get a sense that this is not a normal marriage. And it's not. Thank goodness. It's not normal. We don't want normal in our marriage. We want excellence. So what we're going to do is we're opening it up to six couples to join us here for two days, September 9th and 10th at our home. Now, we're going to start off at the beautiful clubhouse here in the Oaks where we live in Osprey, Florida. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, experts always advise you, you know, never let somebody know where you live. You know, we certainly do that. We've never operated like that. I mean, we always have been very open about who we are, where we live, how we live, and have people in our homes continuously. This is just one of those as well. But we're going to start off at the Oaks Club here, where we live. So we're in a community. There's a beautiful clubhouse. We're going to have dinner there on Thursday night. Uh, you can choose from potato crusted grouper, and it goes on, and on or you for a Chateaubriand sliced with all the. Fancy things that go along with that. So we're going to really do this upright. And then Saturday, we're going to discuss who am I? Why am I here? Personalities. What do you do if you have a different personality than your spouse does? How do you nurture personal responsibility? How do you make decisions? How do you create that haven of peace? Joanna wrote a book titled that a couple years ago. How do you really move into your passions, dreams, and plans? But we've, we've got these three areas, loving learning, and earning. We've left the G off just for a little bit of hillbilly twang there, I guess, but those are three areas that are very important. How do you continue to nurture a loving relationship as the years go by? How do you continue learning and yet not become a different person so you're no longer compatible? And then earning. How do you create extraordinary income? You hear us talk about that a lot. The opportunities are all around us. How do you do that? Anyway, that's we're going to be doing that. We are so excited about it. We're looking forward to this. Now, obviously, we've, with this is not a big open event. We're going to look at applications as they come in. So if you go to 48days.com slash lovin, in Again, 48days.com slash L-O-V-I-N, that'll take you to the landing page. You can see a little video there. Get an overview. And then put in an application if you want. And then we're going to select six couples for this experience, these two days with us. So check it out. That's our resource today. We're excited about that and looking forward to, to maybe meeting some of you that we've not had the privilege of meeting just yet. A couple of good news things. Dan, I'm a survivor of major depression who wants to help others. This comes from brenda I'm, I'm a survivor of major depression who wants to help others overcome depression and anxiety this is a thank you note for everything i've learned from you i've been a fan for a long time and consider you my mentor even though we only met once very briefly thanks in part to your encouragement i've launched a blog and a podcast i'm working on a book Uh, I know you're probably too busy to listen, but I wanted to know that I gave you a shout out in my most recent podcast episode about gratitude. I'm deeply grateful for your books, your outreach through your blog, your podcast, and community. I'm able to make a difference for others because of the difference you made for me. Well, thank you, Brent. I appreciate that note of affirmation and note about what you're doing to move forward. So I'm always thrilled to hear those. Susan says, Dan, I want to thank you for everything you do because of your podcast when I was laid off. Two years ago, my fourth position in three years, I had a different mindset to my new job search. I went to a job fair with the mind of a salesperson determined to sell my abilities to anyone who was there. I bumped into another person I knew who would have been a competitor, but she stated the job fair was a waste of her time as they were mainly looking for software developers. From that waste of time, I got six interviews and a position that was created for me in a growing company. Thank you so much for your podcast and encouragement. I'm hoping to soon get my husband to drink your special Kool-Aid because he feels stuck right now too. Well, thanks for those success stories as we kind of roll into some of these questions here. Sean says, one of my goals this year is to learn to speak Spanish. I heard you mention a while back On your podcast that you're learning Spanish, you said you would give us an update. I don't remember hearing one. I'm interested in the results and what program you used. Thanks. Well, John, I am learning Spanish. I had a a session yesterday with my tutor. Now, what I'm doing, and I, I need to go back. I think I started pretty much at the beginning of the year. So I'm using a couple things, but the primary one is I have a tutor. Her name is Maria. She's from Venezuela. She's marvelous as a linguist. So she speaks multiple languages, speaks very, very fluent English. And she is helping me understand, you know, the context of Spanish and how to have conversations. She's really been marvelous. And that works best for me to have somebody who is actually a tutor. So I meet with her every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, just for 30 minutes. But I meet with her from four thirty to five o'clock Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I have assignments in between. So I'm doing, you know, grammar, syntax, conjugations, and all those. You know, I'm learning all those things because of the assignments that she gives me. But knowing that I'm going to have to pop on and meet with her keeps me accountable, so I don't just push it into the background. The other thing I'm using is Duolingo, a very popular app. I don't miss a day. I've got it set to remind me, and it's it's a lot of repetition. But as Maria tells me, you know, when I know that I'm learning something is when I'm I'm starting to get bored because it seems so repetitious. That's a great sign. So those are the two things that I use: an individual tutor and Duolingo. And yes, I'm uh, I'm moving along. Muy bueno, gracias. All right, okay. Um, this one, all right, Dan. I regularly enjoy your podcast. 48 Days Monday, mentors, uh, wisdom meets passion, uh, all been invaluable as I strive to live out my calling. I have three young kids, 7, 10, and 12. My question is this, how do I help them or not hinder them from discovering and developing their passions and unique God-given abilities? I want to do whatever I can to avoid imposing my own ideas and opinions on them and help them navigate the opinions and suggestions often well-meaning of others. In wisdom meets passion, you talk about raising Jared in a way that allowed him to develop his uniqueness. I think it would be awesome if you wrote a book to help parents do the same. Well, thanks for that. I appreciate again the the feedback and the suggestion is certainly I take it seriously. I don't know that I will write a book. For parents, but just the, even the thing that Joanna and I are doing that I just mentioned, you know, yeah, we want to help parents in this exciting privilege we have of raising children. I mean, we, Joanna and I, have three; they're very, very different. Uh, we love the process of them growing up and and the challenge to us as parents of figuring out what their unique passions and gifts were. Well, we use the DISC profile; I'll just give you a couple of tools here. We use the DISC profile, and that even with your kids being the ages they are. You, know, you can go through that, 7, 10, and 12. You can do that with them and, and get, I mean, the the disc, there's a form of the disc that doesn't even use words. It just uses stick figures. And again, it's very, very accurate in predicting or telling what kind of personality these children have. But you you can even see things. You know, you'll have one child where you walk into their room and, while wow, they've got their socks or, organized by color you know, in the drawer perfectly, if nothing's out of place. We had a widow and child like that. And then you walk into the room of another one, you got to, you know, step over trash on the floor when you walk into the room because nothing's organized. Well, those things give you clues about their personality right from the start. But if you use the DISC profile to kind of help you with that. Now, one of the things that we used a lot was just uh, using an accurate rendition of Proverbs twenty two six verse where most of us are familiar with where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he'll not depart from it. We know that. And we've misused that a lot of times to kind of cram our beliefs, our values, our opinions down our kids' throats. It's not really what it means. In the original version, the rendering of that verse more accurately is, train up a child in the way that he or she is bent. So the challenge, and then when they're old, they'll not depart from it. So the challenge as parents is to figure out, how is this child uniquely bent? And we did that with our children. So Jared was very different in the way that he learned. He wanted his room dark, no fluorescent lights. You know, we thought it was kind of a, you know, a dark, gloomy, gothic kind of thing. No, it was a way for him to control the input into his brain so that he was really able to study and learn. So, you know, just lean into the uniqueness that your children have. You might listen to my daughter Ashley's podcast because. She addresses a lot of these issues where she leans into how to raise wonderful little human beings as parents. So check out Ashley, actually Logston, Mama Says Namaste is her podcast. But we want to walk children through this sequence that I use for anybody, no matter what the age, curiosity. Move from curiosity to proficiency, then develop passion, then identify purpose, then provide a promise to people and you'll get profit. That's a process you can go through even with children that are very young. But my encouragement to you is be patient. I mean, this is an ongoing process. Let them explore, let them experiment. I mean, the opportunities they're going to have 10 years from now are most likely things that do not even exist now. But more important than skills and academic knowledge are attitude and mindset, Help your children with their personal characteristics. I mean, have them go through how to win friends and influence people. Those things that make people want them as friends, make them want them to have them on their team. Those are more valuable skills and those are timeless and those are not tied to changing technology. You know, help them develop as people with attitude and mindset more than focusing on skills that they might want to develop along the way. All right, here, um, Tom says, I've always wanted to become a financial planner, have recently earned one of the highest designations in the field. I have the ability through my employer to start a planning practice while still being employed with them. I'd like to be a junior advisor to a seasoned planner to learn a business, however, i have not been successful in finding those opportunities. Since I can start a practice while being employed by my current company, I'm considering going down that road. Two concerns that came to mind were how to overcome client concerns about being employed, working at my practice, and how to overcome concerns about the lack of experience in this part of the industry. I'm very passionate about helping people with their financial goals. Know that this is my calling. Thanks for your help, Dan. I love the podcast and the work you do for all of us. Well, thanks, Tom, for your your note and your your comments and your question. Now in, in addressing the concerns that you have. You're concerned, you're young, you want to start your own financial planning business, but you're currently employed and you don't have a lot of experience. How do you overcome those things? All right. Number one, the fact that you are employed is a plus. That should be seen as a benefit when you're presenting yourself. To, so you're not just some, you know, kid out here in the street all by yourself. No, you're already currently employed. I mean, that should be a plus for you that you are an associate, whatever they call you where you are that you're already working there that should be a plus the other thing the fact that you're young don't allow that to be seen as a stumbling block i mean everybody has things they think are obstacles i'm too young i'm too old i'm too short i'm too tall i'm you know have a degree i don't have a degree you know those they're all things that we can kind of use as reasons we're not getting traction and most of them are just artificial so don't let that be seen as a drawback. Now, one, j- just this week, I interviewed Mike Kim. Mike has a brand new book out called You Are the Brand. It's really well done. There's a lot of real nuggets in there. But I love the way he frames his value. And I want to share this with you here. And any the rest of you listening who offer some kind of a service. You can really learn from this. Now, Mike is a copywriter. So he writes copy for your website or for your sales brochures that are going to go out or or to promote an event that you've got coming up. One of those things, you know, he he writes copy. So when he, somebody asked him about helping doing that, here's how he frames it. This is how you can frame your value, even though you're young. So he says, well, I'll He asked somebody, you know, have you ever worked with a copywriter? Most people say, no, I never have. He says, well, a level 10 copywriter is someone who might charge $25,000 for the initial consultation, $150,000 to write a campaign, plus a few percentage points of sales as a commission. These are guys like Dan Kennedy or Jay Abraham who write campaigns for brands like Proactive or Icy Hot. A level one copywriter, he's, he's balancing. He's comparing a level 10 is somebody who's really good, been in the business a long time. Level one copywriter is someone who would charge you between $1,500 and $3,000, but they don't have much real experience. I'm a level seven heading toward a level eight. I love that. I love how he framed that. So you could say, as a financial planner, the fact that you're young, you don't have a lot of experience, you can say, well, somebody who's really experienced, who's been doing this a long time, you know, they're going to charge you four hundred dollars an hour or whatever. Somebody who's brand new, who really doesn't have much experience at all, you know, may charge you sixty dollars an hour. I'm a level seven, going toward a level eight. What you've done is you can help frame where you're going to end up in terms of how you're likely to work with them, what your fees are going to be by doing it in that way. But you also elevate your position immediately by saying you are a level and be honest about it. But if you've got experience, it, no matter what your age, you know, if you've got experience, you can say, you know, I am, I'm a level six going on seven. So it's not going to be like the big boys but it's not going to be like a beginner because I do have experience and I'm ready to get in the game with you. All right. Thanks for your question. Next one. I started listening to podcast reading 48 days type literature, Ziegler, Robbins, Hyatt, Pressfield, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of 2009, while I feel like I know a lot more and I've taken a few action steps, I'm worse off financially and in greater confusion career-wise. I know content Consumption doesn't equal success. At the same time, I feel like the same wisdom and action plans I'm using to help colleagues and friends should help me get traction in either my sales career or in finding a better fit. My question is this: what are common reasons why content consumers don't get traction? Or how do you recommend someone putting together content to action or filtering it for better effectiveness? Wow, this is that classic story, you know, the cobbler has no shoes, providing shoes for everybody else and doesn't have shoes on his own feet. Well, really the way that you've laid this out, the way that you've described your quandary is uh, providing a lot of the solution. The fact that you know a lot more, but your life hasn't changed. It's real clear, we know well, that knowledge doesn't make your life better. Knowledge doesn't put money in the bank. Knowledge is just the beginning step. Knowledge has to move to understanding and application. So just look at it in that light. You do know more. You've been reading all these wonderful materials, listening to podcasts. So you know more. You know the principles. Where has this broken down, this sequence, then going to understanding and application? Have you said, these are the five things I'm going to do this week. These are the three steps I'm going to implement in the next 48 days. I mean, have you made it concrete where you've moved from just head knowledge to application? You can do that. Again, just knowing the challenge that you've got will help you frame it. Now, when you're reading those people you're talking about, if it's uh, Ziggler, Robbins, Hyatt, Pressfield, whoever it is, those guys lay out. I mean, Michael Hyatt is very, very clear in his material about how to move forward, how to create a focus, how to take action. He's very process focused. So go back and look at some of that stuff and then follow the steps. Don't just read it lightly. Go back and dig deep and then create a real plan for yourself. Well... Great questions. As always, I love these questions. Boy, I got way more than we could possibly get to this week, but that's fine. We'll always save more for another day. One of the things I mentioned last week, because the last question dealt with somebody who hates sales and wants to be successful without selling. I said it's impossible. If you hate sales, you're always going to have a mediocre success path. I want to revisit that, probably develop one to just deal with that alone. But in the meantime, here, uh, we want to keep moving forward with a variety of content. But if you've got questions, you've got success stories, tips, resources you want to share with other people, just shoot those into me at askdan at 48days.com. Of course, you can always go to any page on our 48 Days site and click on the microphone and leave an audio message for me as well. All right, this question, by the time I get four kids to bed, I'm not alert enough to read. My work commute is filled with podcasts like yours. How can I work reading new books into my life? I have an ever-growing queue of books I'd like to read, but I can't find the time to fit them in. Do you have any suggestions? Well, the fact that you're using your commute time to listen to books, I mean, that's perfectly legit. You're getting the content of books just in audio format instead of visual. I mean, that, that's perfectly fine. Don't beat yourself up about that. Maybe that is enough. Maybe that is the best use of that time. I mean, I commend you on not just listening to rock and roll music when you're in the car, your work commute. If you're listening to Positive Podcast, I mean, I do that every morning when I'm out walking for an hour and then riding my bike for usually another 45 minutes or so. I, I'm listening to podcasts. I mean, I love reading. Reading is my first love, but... The fact that I'm uh, able to listen to podcasts gives me a tremendous amount of content to kick off the day in a form other than just reading the book. So yeah, you know, the other thing is if you just carve out a little bit of time, I mean, if you carve out 20 minutes a day to read, you can still, you know, read through a book a month. If you do just that, 20 minutes a day is going to get you through most any book in a month. That's commendable. You'd have 12 new books if you just did that. So do what works this season of your life, you know, for young kids. I mean, that's a particular season, and it may not work to be doing a lot of reading. That's okay. You'll have time when they're grown and gone. Hello, Dan. Thanks for reading this. I'm unemployed. I'm trying to find a new job, but I think that my former employer is giving me a bad reference. I don't have him listed as a reference, but potential job offers Our employers might still call them and ask about me. I only worked for this company for three months, but I've held other jobs in the past for a year or more. Should I try and deal with this, or should I even bother to list this place on my resume? If I need to deal with this, how should I go about it? Thank you. All right, this is real simple. Nobody's calling your former employer and getting a bad reference. You think that. There's something else going on. Trust me, that's not it. That's not it. Go ahead and list them. As an employer, no big deal. There's a couple of reasons for this, and I can really be confident in this. For one, if somebody called your former employer and they said, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, she was horrible. We didn't like her. She cheated. You know, she messed her up. There is no way in the world somebody would say that. They open themselves up to a liability these days. Nobody is going to do that. The only thing, I mean, if if you burn the place down on your way out. The only thing they're going to do is confirm your employment dates there. I mean, now if somebody really pushed, they could say, you know, well, would you hire this person again? And somebody can give a simple yes or no. But, but the the truth of the matter is nobody's doing that. Nobody's taking the time to call those. I mean, I, I am used as a reference because I work with people in this job search process. I'm used as a reference frequently. I don't get two calls a year from people who are interviewing those people. It's such an afterthought. People don't call references until they've already made a decision about whether they're going to hire somebody or not. It just happens so infrequently. And especially in light of today's workplace environment where employers are so eager to have new people in, Right. They, they aren't even going to be concerned about somebody's bad review. They're going to take what they have as information, their interviewing process, go on that. If you're not getting job offers, it's not because people are, somebody in the past from a three-month job has given you a bad reference. Trust me, I'm 100% sure it's not that. Look at other things. What are the reasons somebody do, are, is not asking you to be on their team? Be realistic about that, but it's not because of bad references. Dan, I'm a young dietitian. I'm halfway through getting my master's in nutrition, which I'm paying for out of pocket. I decided to pursue a master's to have a deeper understanding of nutrition to help better help my clients and patients. I really like being a dietitian, inspiring and helping others. I also really love singing, writing songs, performing even more than being a dietitian. I feel like singing, there are ways I can express myself that I can't as a dietitian. Sometimes uh, that's an interesting dichotomy. How you can express yourself and help people either as a dietitian or as a musician. Boy, I kind of stopped right there because I love both of those, the possibilities. Anyway, she continues, sometimes I just want to let go of nutrition to pursue music full time after investing the time and money for my education and career in nutrition. Would it even be wise to consider letting it go to do music full time or is it possible for one to have a dual career? All right. For the first thing, yes, it's possible to have a dual career. You really, you really can do that. So I want to encourage you, you know, don't, don't kill the golden goose. If you're working and that's providing a good income, don't just quit that and then force music to provide your income. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that in Big Magic, that, you know, a lot of artists kill their love for a particular expression, be that music, art, or whatever, because they force it to be their only source of income. Don't do that. I mean, continue working as a dietician if that's providing an income for you. Believe me, music is not something you need to devote 40 hours a week to. You know, I just listened to Pat Flynn's recent podcast. He just passed number 500 into 501. He talked about the fact that he was trained as an architect. So he went to school, really struggled to get through school, in you know, a good school, got a job as an architect, and then was let go. Well, that pivot launched him into other things that he does. Obviously today, you know he's online marketer, he develops courses, helps people in a lot of ways, but it really has very little to do with architecture. Was that lost time or wasted money? No, it was part of the journey to get him to where he is today. I mean, I was trained academically as a clinical psychologist. That's not what I do today. Now there are segments of that that probably help me coach people well but it's certainly not something I'm doing in a traditional sense at all. But it was part of my own personal growth journey. So see your training in nutrition as that. Golly, that's going to make you awesome at parties, you know, to help people with the food that comes up or events that you have in your own home. I mean, it's part of who you are. So it's not wasted if you walk away from that. But I would be very cautious about forcing music to be the only thing that you do. Chris says, I've I've been considering opening my own consulting practice for several years now. Recently, an opportunity of service that would allow me to take a job as a consultant. This would mean an initial pay cut from my current job, but would allow me to learn the business side of consulting on someone else's dime and figure out if I'd really like it without immediately jumping into the unknown. I'm interested in what your thoughts are on taking this opportunity as consulting gig for a couple of years to learn about the business as opposed to simply jumping into the deep end of the pool, knowing that I could be leaving a lot of money on the table by being too cautious. Well, I don't think you're being too cautious. I think you're describing a transition process that makes beautiful sense. So you're working as an employee now. You have an opportunity to be go on with somebody else to learn a business side of consulting on someone else's dime. That's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. And a really smart way to do it. I mean, Brian Tracy, one of the old trainers about how to start your own business, talked about that. If you want to start, you know, open your own ice cream shop, go to work for somebody who already has one learn on their dime. Exactly what you're describing here. Very legitimate way. And if you have a time frame on that, I mean, two years ago, by in the blink of an eye, that's a great timeline to learn about the business side and prepare you much better to go into doing it on your own. All right, a couple more here. James says, you've talked about the difficulty high C individuals have accepting a business idea. Now, I'm to just intersect this here before I go on with James's question. We talk about the D, I, S, and C. D, somebody who's a real opinionated, high-pressure salesperson in your face. Boom. You know, I'm exaggerating all these I is somebody who's very gregarious, outgoing, social, backslapper, breaks the silence in the elevator. But we know that person. S personality is somebody who's more cautious, more behind the scenes, but supportive, loyal. You know, brave and true, responsible. Those kind of things. Then somebody who C tend to be. You know, accountants, actuaries, people who architects, people who want to gather a lot of information before making decisions can be seen as a wet blanket. Can be seen as kind of you know, throwing water on the fire, so to speak. So James says, you've talked about the difficulty high C individuals have accepting a business idea. What are some tools or processes high C personality types can use to evaluate a business idea without throwing out every single one? I am such a person that I can I find I can identify a fatal flaw in every idea my wife and I come up with. We dream about the type of flexibility and freedom of business of our own would provide our family, but we can't get started. Boom. Awesome question, James. Awesome framing of it. Awesome to open up about your own vulnerability, understanding how this is holding you back. Just knowing that about yourself is half the battle and half the solution. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to give yourself a timeline for choosing and acting on an idea. So list 20 possibilities. There's lots of things out there. List 20. Then filter those through what you know about yourself. That process of knowing your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. Take that list of 20, filter it through what you know about yourself. Choose four ideas that fit you best. Then on those four ideas, do a little bit more research. Then choose one and act. But here's the clincher. Allow yourself 48 days to go through that process and commit in advance that you will move forward on whatever that idea is. Don't allow, and I want to make this very, very clear here. Don't allow procrastination, indecision, doing more research or finding the fatal flaw, which are all covers for fear to stop you. Well, let me kind of bounce that off you again. Don't allow procrastination, indecision, doing more research or finding the fatal flaw, which are all just covers for fear. Don't allow any of those to stop you. Just commit that you're going to get that one idea. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be something that you're going to do for the next 30 years, but just choose one idea, move forward. You know, a little success can really open the door to moving you forward, keeping you going. All right. Here, uh, another Tom says, I'm starting a side business as a local handyman. I put out about 200 flyers with no callbacks by placing them in the newspaper boxes. I'm about to put out another 200 this coming weekend. Do you recommend I just go door-to-door handing out flyers while introducing myself? Well, this would take more time, but it might yield better results. I don't know. Also, I believe as a handyman, 90% of my leads should be coming from referrals I do great work, but no one knows about me as I'm new in town. Please provide some insight. All right, absolutely, I will do that. You say you're a handyman. You put out flyers. Now, I'm going to make a couple assumptions here because I didn't see your flyer, but I assume that it's a flyer that says you're a handyman. All right, what I want you to do is create a specific offer, very specific. You'll you'll power wash a driveway for $150. You'll install an outside remote garage door opener, something I just recently did. Uh, you know, we have the remotes inside and I thought, my gosh, you know, I I don't have a door at that side of the house. I'd like to have, well, it was a very simple kind of thing to do, but you, you know, you could do that. In our community, we all have exactly the same mailbox. Well, they get faded over time. And once in a while, you'll see somebody out there painting theirs to re- renew it. You could say you freshen up your mailbox. You could say you do ceiling fan installation, you know, for 48 bucks, you know, plus the cost of the fan. You could do screen repair for the pool cages we have here. You could install the new ring doorbell, come up with something unique like that. But, but here's the deal. Don't make your potential customers have to figure out what you do and how you're likely to charge. Make them a low risk offer so they can get, you to know, you, and then they'll give you more business. I mean, I've got here in my office a little flyer that Jared and I did when he was 14 years old. That was years ago. But it's a little neon green thing that we had a real cool, cool design on. It's got a bicycle at the top, bicycle re- repair specialist. But here's the clincher on this. So we put these out. There were There were 430 homes in the community we were living in, in Nashville. We put these out one time and it completely launched and kept him busy for an entire summer with his bicycle repair business because we had on here in real bold print this week's special flat repair $5. Now also it has a free pickup and delivery, you know, expert repair on all models. Now a couple things on there are pretty key. One of the challenges as a parent, when you have a child with a bike, problem is you got to put it in your car. Hope you don't scratch the Lexus, you know, take it down the shop. Remember when you're supposed to pick it up, go, no, Jared provided free pickup and delivery. I didn't take him around a pickup truck either. Believe me, if he had someplace, he could walk there and get it and walk it home. It was a special kind of benefit for him and certainly a benefit for the customer. Guess what else is true? 95% of bikes that have a flat repair need other work as well so he did this right at the beginning of the summer and he called the customer up and say wow the chain's really rusty you want me to refresh that gee you know the the gears don't really work well you want me to do a tune-up on that and all of a sudden you know he was making in his little bike repair thing at 14 years old you know two three hundred bucks working a couple nights a week doing that but you, if you are specific about what it is you do, you remove, remove the confusion and you'll have that phone ringing. All right, I only go one more, one more. I'm glancing down here. I'd love to just stay on here for three hours, but I know you don't want me to do that either, and I've got other things to do, but I love these questions. So all right, I'm one of the many people you've impacted with your writing and podcast. I'm a bivocational pastor. Who who needed to pursue full-time work for a season. I purchased 48 days uh, some years ago, ended up landing the best paying job I've ever had. The book gave me a focus, gave me insight to strengthen my resume, helped me hone my interviewing skills. Thank you. My reason for writing was for insight in promoting a music CD. I did music professionally for 10 years, he says. Trying to find the best promotional vehicles with our limited financial resources has my head spinning I've considered Kickstarter to raise funds, which would increase those resources. But even with more resources, where do you go? If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. Thanks for all you do, Joe. Well, thanks for your, your question. I love your heart, um, the things that you're doing, but can you get in the game musically? Yes, you can. Now, you heard me earlier say, I don't encourage somebody to jump into music and force it to be their only source of income, but are there things you can do? You better believe it. Now, you mentioned here, it's funny you mentioned Kickstarter as a possible way to raise funds to do your music CD. Brandon Lake is one of my favorite musicians right now. Brandon Lake. Now, he does worship music. His rendition of Graves into Gardens is our family favorite right now. Everybody's listened to it. Pull it up. Just, just pull up the YouTube of Graves Into Gardens by Brandon Lake. It is mind-blowing. His energy, his conviction, the, the music itself is just awesome. Now, he's new on the scene. On April 15th of 2015, so we're talking, what, six years ago, Brandon launched a GoFundMe crowdfunding campaign to raise $23,000 to produce a new album. He was passionate about his music, but he didn't have any money, and he decided he needed $23,000. So the campaign was a success. He had 101 donors who pledged $23,100. So then in 2016, he did his career debut with the release release of Run to You, the lead single, and his debut album, Closer, So that he took the money and made that first album. Did it really, really well. But he's also done a ton of other things. This is the difference. This is like being an author, which I talk about so much. If you write a really great book and you release that book, well, I commend you on that. But it's not likely to change your financial future or anything else about your life unless you take the message of that book and give people a whole lot of other ways to experience it which we certainly have done in 48 days. That's why, you know, speak, write, have courses, mastermind, live events, those kind of things are other applications of the same message in 48 days, but not just the book itself. That's what Brandon has done. He is everywhere. I mean, he'll come anywhere and help lead your worship, you know, show up at an event and uh, get the place rocking. I mean, he, he's just, he's everywhere. I see him everywhere right now. In 2021, he received seven nominations for GMA Dev Awards in categories such as New Artist of the Year, Rock Contemporary Recorded Song of the Year, uh, Song of the Year, on and on. Seven nominations for Dev Awards. He got in the game. He wasn't just wanting to produce an album and then sit back in a sidelines. No, he got in the game. I would encourage you to do the same thing. If you got a CD, absolutely there are creative ways you can fund the production of that. You can do that. But that's not the end. That's not the end game. That's just one step in the process of then having people experience your music, your heart for music, whatever it is you want to lead them into. All right. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up right there. Um, lots of questions. Thanks again for the questions that you send in. Keep shooting those in to askdan 48days.com. I hope you don't like this song, feel stuck in a job. That's not where we want you to be. We want you to break out of that. Sometimes I get challenged on, uh, I had this week, somebody challenged me on the fact that I talk about money so much, you know, isn't isn't it, can't you live a worthy life pursuing worthy goals without making money? Yes, you can. I mean, my definition of success is still the, the progressive realization of worthwhile goals. That may not accumulate a lot of money, but the reason I do talk about making money is because we hear from so many of you who are struggling financially. And it breaks my heart to know that you're struggling financially like that. I want you to see the opportunities take action, change that part of your life as well. Reminder of our resource being the event that Joanne and I are doing, September 9th and 10th. We'd love to talk to you. And again, it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 88. That's not a criteria. You know, We're looking for other things with people to engage in. We're going to have six couples coming here to our home. Just go to 48days.com slash lovin, spelled L-O-V-I-N. Just go there, check out the details. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, thanks for listening. I take that as a high honor always. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. And for believing without a shadow of a doubt that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You knew that was coming every week and profitable. Don't settle for less.